Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Oh, it's nice and dark in that room tonight, Jen. I'm not used to seeing it. Look at that. It's eerie. Have you not put the light on? I don't have the light on. No. Let's discuss the lighting before we begin. <laughs> Very important in the podcast. Just We're all visual now, so it's really changed things. Now you wear clothes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Days of Topless podcast is done. That's, that's over now. Welcome to Women Talking Bollocks, a podcast where you'll hear, well, three women talking utter bollocks. What you won't hear is anyone nattering on about fashion, makeup, diets, or those blinking Kardashians. I'm not even sure I know who they are, if I'm honest. But what you will hear is some uplifting, irreverent chat with myself, Jen Brister, and my two very dear friends, comedians and women the very wonderful, if slightly eccentric, Maureen Younger, and the dashing, kind, charisma bomb that is Alison June Smith. Before we begin this week's episode, we would love to welcome our brand new patrons, Jess, Imogen, and Natalie. Welcome. That sounded sinister, Maureen. <laughs> be good wouldn't it if you could just rest your tits on your own shoulders yeah i mean it wouldn't be bad would it mine are still very pert i'll have you know so there you go <laughs> i just had a bra fitting recently i know we've talked about it on the podcast before but i just couldn't i was doing the guessing thing well that always works and in the end i had to say to this poor woman can you help me out here she said have you made an appointment i said no but look at me oh they do that now it's annoying because well, you really need to make an appointment i said look this is my only afternoon that i can do this i said i could make an appointment but god only knows when i'll be able to make it she said okay okay wow she went out she measured me we got the bras turns out my original bra size that i thought i was but then i decided i wasn't i am that bra size but i've just been wearing my bra incorrectly all these years Ooh. i've just been wearing it incorrectly she was like why are your straps so tight i said because it gets really loose she said no 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 they do your this straps all the supposed time. to be long pull it down to the mid of your back is where it's supposed to be sitting allison pull it down to the middle of your back. Now, look, 
it's the bit around the, it, the back that is supporting your boobs. It's not the shoulder bit. Uh-uh. That's just keeping the boobs in place. Yeah. Honestly, it's like a revelation. And you know what is great? I only learned this at the age of forty-seven. And <laughs> wow, who knew that I'd been wearing my bra wrong? For this long, it's an rev- absolute revelation, Alison and I've, I've. Do you know what though? They say that though, and I don't. I don't know. Sometimes I don't buy into the mid back thing. Oh really? Also, every time I go for a bra fitting, they're like, every woman has a different opinion when it comes to my boobs. So I'm like, I don't know. I. So what are the alternative opinions about your boobs? Well, they're like, go a bigger cup and a tighter around, or they're like, smaller yes. cup, larger around. I'm like, which is it? What do I do? It also depends on the type of bra, doesn't it? Ah, oh, they were saying, do you like a balcony bra? Do you like a full cup? Do you like a half cup? Do you like a... I said, listen, you need to stop talking. You're a full cup girl for sure. (laughs) I'm a full cup girl. I don't want anything dangling over the top. Have you tried a balcony bra? Like half of your tits are just hanging over the top of the bra. What is the point of that? I quite like... I like them. Oh, my God, I was going to say Maureen strikes me as a balcony bra kind of girl. Maureen is barely wearing a bra, (laughs) Alison. Most of the time, her bra is hanging out. Hanging outside of a dress. I've seen your bra strap more than I think I've seen my own bra straps, Maureen. It's a look. It's a look I go for. It's a part of the dress. No one can argue with you there, Maureen. It's definitely a look. And (laughs) you're nailing that look. Maureen, as always, if it's okay with you, when it comes to practical things, I might not turn to you. (laughs) I might look in a different direction. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. You probably should have just come to me for your bra fitting, Jen. It sounds like I could have. Actually, do you know what I could have? But you're in Manchester and, and, and it's not an easy journey for me to make. Would you come to me, Jen, for bra fitting? Of course I wouldn't go to you more. <laughs> literally just said that. <laughs> Maureen's like, you got to pull the straps down. Number one, straps down. Apparently you don't need the straps. Just take them off and have them hanging outside. <laughs> They're surplus to requirements, apparently. Mm-hmm. Maureen... You're not wearing a balcony bra. You've just been wearing a full cut bra without the straps and your tits are just hanging <laughs> over the top of the bra. That's all that's happening there. Well, the straps fall down, but the bra doesn't fall down. The bra still stays in place. Well done. You've glued your tits to the inside of your bra. <laughs> One, finally, a practical solution <laughs> from Maureen Younger. We got there in the end. I had a cultural week this week. Ooh. What'd you do culturally? I went to Kensington Palace with my art fund card that Jen bought me for my birthday. There was hardly anybody in there, so that was nice. So I went round. I have to say, the guides are incredibly well-informed. I mean, ridiculously well-informed. And uh, very polite, because I was the last one to leave, and they didn't make a fuss about it. They just let me carry I was buying souvenirs, to be fair. But they were really sweet about it, because it shuts at 6 o'clock, and I left at 5.59. So that must have been really annoying for them. If you like that kind of thing, it's basically where Queen Victoria grew up and uh, King George II held his court, and William and Mary, they, they were the first royals to go there in the 17th century. And they went there, weirdly enough, because it was out of London. It was in the country in those days. Well, I mean, very much not the country now. But um, <laughs> when you see Kensington Palace, it's not as grand as you think it's going to be, is no, it? No, no, no. It actually looks like a house. There's also a photographic exhibition, Ooh. which I went through quite quickly, because you know me, I like to look at everything. So I did all the history, and then I, by the time I got to the photographic exhibition, I'd, I'd had enough. So I kind of zoomed through that. So there's obviously those famous photos of... Princess Diana there as well. But you'd highly recommend it, Maureen. Yeah, and honestly, I was so impressed about the knowledge of the guides. Do you know, I worked as a guide once. I was one of the first guides for the Royal Opera House. I knew to learn a lot of stuff, history, where the theatre works, opera, ballet. I think I did actually the very first tour. And then somebody went to me, where'd you get your hangers from? That was (laughs) one of the questions. I studied all the stuff about opera and ballet and that was a question I got asked. Interesting chat though, Maureen. That's that's what the general public often have to offer is absolute fucking <laughs> <Nonsense>. mind-blowingly <laughs> like, are you 
kidding me, bullshit. I used to work at the Globe, for those who don't know, it's an open-air theatre, and you get people going, you know, oh, that painting of the sky is really realistic. And you're like, what, with the clouds moving? I mean... <laughs> That's next level, isn't it? That you're outside, but you think the sky's been painted. I would have to say, I'm so sorry, I'm just going to have to throw myself into the Thames. <laughs> the most common question when you did the Globe was... What happens when it rains? And I always just go, it never rains in South London. And people go, oh, OK. It's like, well, you get wet, don't you? I mean, what do you think happens when it rains? <laughs> I love that. It never rains in South London. North London is a nightmare, actually, by the way. You don't want to go north of the river. You'll actually notice a sheet of rain on the other side of the Thames. At the Globe, I don't know if they saw it. They used to have a list of stupid questions. Like somebody I was asking once for Hamlet 2, when Hamlet 2 was on. You should have told them. It's actually coming out in 2020. There's one more exciting thing I found oh, out. God, I can't, absolutely can't wait for this. You're not going to be as excited as me, I can tell. Wolf Haas has written a new Simone Brenner novel. It's coming out this week. Alison, how are you feeling OK about this? <laughs> I didn't know if uh, she was sick or if she was speaking words at that moment. Alison, how many times have you heard about Wolf Haas on this podcast? Too many to mention. Yeah, I was going to say for sure three. Three significantly stand out to me. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Maureen, that's exciting. It's like a, a horror movie that I would be waiting has finally come out. So. Oh, yeah. I'm going to buy the hardback. I can't wait for the cheaper paperback version. I'm going to buy the hardback. Well, I mean, I just assumed that that was happening, Maureen, when you said you were really excited that the book <laughs> Can you imagine? Actually, that that would be a classic, Maureen. I'm so excited. The book's coming out in three days. Oh, great, Maureen. You'll be able to read it. No, no, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to wait for the paperback. <laughs> that would be... When's that coming out? Oh, I think in about, in about a year, two years. Well, Maureen, no doubt that that will appear on Book Club. Will that be a Book Club recommendation? Yeah, I don't know if it's in English. I don't know. No, that might prevent that it. That would definitely... Numbers would go down for that. Alison, there'd just be Maureen at Book Club. I mean, I'd probably be quite happy, to be honest. <laughs> to be fair, she would be. Alison, how's your week been? It's been good. I've had a, a lovely week, thank you. Uh... Come on, let's think of something. You did five gigs on Saturday. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it. It gets so boring. People just hear about gigs, but I did do five gigs, and the only reason I'm really excited about it is because, you know, years ago, I would have been one of those people wanting to be one of the people getting all the gigs. It's an achievement. And on Saturday, I got a bunch of gigs, and it was really fun. I think I'm still tired, though, from Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> it's That's two gig more than I can manage now because I get to the fourth gig and I'm like, oh, what have I done? What have I said? Have I said that punchline? Am I in the middle of... Yeah. yeah, yeah. We think, have I done this joke? You're halfway through a joke and you're like, have I done the punchline? Oh, my I've actually already done this joke. I can't believe I'm doing this joke twice. There's a little bit when you're doing five gigs that you've got to be like a machine, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. You've got to know exactly what you're doing, when you're doing it, blah, 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 yeah. in that order so that you don't go... Arr. It felt good just to be like, I can do it. I can do this. Yeah. Jens? How was your week? Yeah, what was your week like? My week was fine, you know, gigs and blah, blah, blah. Hey, you're going to be on TV, aren't you, soon? So, OK, everybody slow down. And by everybody, I mean Maureen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Maureen, because this comes out on Friday. Obviously, we don't record this on Friday because it comes don't out Friday. Don't to break the illusion, but we do <laughs> yeah. pre-record everyone. <laughs> we pre-record. <laughs> so this week, I have been, because it will just come out on Friday, uh, Richard Osman's House of Games, which is on every day, Monday to Friday. And look, no spoilers, but up until this point, I have not won a single day. Now, <laughs> the thing to know about this game is that traditionally, stand-up comedians, hands down, always win. That's because we're pretty clever and pretty fast and very bright people. And <laughs> modest. Well, yeah. Now, I was on with another stand-up comedian, Ian Moore. Now, 
Up until this point, if you've been watching Richard Osman's House of Games, you have seen that Ian Moore has won all four games in a row. Okay? And I have come second. When I started doing the game, I was like, oh, easy breezy, it'll be fun. By the time Ian had won second two games, I was like, I'm going to take that guy down to Chinatown. <laughs> like, I suddenly got really competitive. But what happened was, first two days, I was almost quite good. Like, it could have gone either way with Ian and I. Wednesday, my numbers went down. <laughs> <laughs> and what I learned from doing Richard Osmond's House of Games is that my general knowledge is really finite, but anything about, like, Little Mix or there was other questions about Robbie Williams, not only did I not know, I did not know anything. I did not know a single <laughs> thing. The other thing I fell down, Alison, and I don't know if you're good at this, I am terrible with names. Mm-hmm. So, like, if a person's face comes up on a screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that person that was in the... T- I don't know anyone's fucking name. I don't know anyone's name. And not only do I not know anyone's name, the people whose names I do have, the menopause has erased, OK? <laughs> Honestly, there are so many things where I was like, I know this. I absolutely know this. I was... It's gone. <laughs> and that's what I learned from Richard Osmond House Games. But to be fair, it was a lot of fun. Well, anyway, that was our weeks. What a fun time. But now it's time to turn to the least practical person in the room. <laughs> it is... Uh, I'd managed to block myself as a spam sender. I chose my own number and my own contact to block. <laughs> oh my God, Maureen, I don't, under- I mean, I understand, but I don't understand. I've got to shut this down now. I've got to shut it down. I got reminded of this watching something on TV. I can't remember what it was, but basically I was at Universal Studios in America. This is years ago, years ago. So I must have been, say, 30. So a couple of years back. Anyway, they had an earthquake section where you kind of do an earthquake and they wanted somebody to get in. They went, can we have a girl to go in the car? So I put my hand up immediately and just went straight in there. And the guy was looking at me a bit strange and I was just like, you know, I volunteered first. So I went in the car and they went, can we have a boy? And then this little, like, seven-year-old came up and then I realised it was meant to be for kids. (laughs) 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 That's amazing. All these parents must be going, what is this woman doing? <laughs> and the thing was, right, when the little boy came, right, I realised it was meant to be for kids, but I thought, well, I still want to do it. So I just... I just You're there. I just did it anyway. She doubled down. She doubled down. I doubled down. down. I thought, well, you know, I volunteered first. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> say actually we were we were hoping it well i think i I don't think i gave them the choice you know what i'm like when i'm in one i just kind of went yeah i'll I'll get up and do it and then i just went straight into the car and i and i could see him looking at me but i was like what's his problem (laughs) and then it was like it was only when the little boy came and joined me i thought oh it's meant to be for the children (laughs) so talk us through what happened afterwards fine the car did something and then you know we got off and got out and that was it really what the car shirk or yeah the car shook or something yeah i mean it's supposed to be an experience for children i understand <laughs> i understand Maureen. you can imagine Maureen at a kid's party can't you yeah now who'd like to come to the front and the... I will, I'll, I'll do it I, I was actually hoping 
the birthday girl. I was just... <laughs> No, no, I'll do it. It's fine. She's she's a bit slow off the mark there. I'll do it. But it's because obviously I would have missed all the subtle undertones of him just looking at me going, what the hell are yeah. you doing? I mean, they probably weren't that subtle, Maureen. <laughs> the side, don't be taller than this to get on the ride. Maureen just walks right <laughs> by it. Yeah, but I did want to have a go. No, of course, you know, and definitely give the kid the bird, as you say, you snooze, you lose, loser, as you get on. <laughs> That is a classic. Does it surprise you too at all? No, but I <laughs> love the imagery of it so much. I might try and find the photo. Yeah, no, do. Oh, so wait, so wait, 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 wait. I want to see the little boy sitting beside you like, why is this lady on the ride? But also you had your photo taken. Did you have to pay to get your photo taken? That definitely would not have happened. I just <laughs> love the idea that Maureen has that photo. Please fish it out. Maureen and place it onto the WTB Instagram for everyone to make fun of because that <laughs> is by far the best Be Maureen moment we've had in a while. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> I oh. just love how emphatic Alison was earlier when you said, can you believe that? No, I could totally believe you did that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I could see you on the ride. I could even see you being like, well, no, I'm not getting off now. That's more <laughs> embarrassing. I'm just going to stay and do the ride. The thing is, Alison, Maureen wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed That's... in the slightest. As Jen knows, my attitude is I'm never going to see these people again. What does it matter what they think of me? Good attitude to have, actually. Yeah. I like that Maureen constantly uses that, I mean, I, I don't know them, but actually she'd have done the exact same thing if it'd been a green room full of comedians. That is true, she'd actually. be like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's my son's birthday, Maureen. Yeah, well... <laughs> We all have birthdays. Yeah, we've all got birthdays, yeah. Well, Maureen Younger, thank you so much for your be-ba-ba-de-ba-bet. That was beautiful. Oh, dear. I think it's time to head over to somebody who knows what the bloody hell's going on in the world and has got a solution for the problem because it is time to ask Alison. Go to the gym, get it together, pay your taxes and stop eating chips. Take my advice. Take my advice, I ain't using it. Okay, so this was a last minute change of problem. Mm -hmm. Literally, I was going to do another problem and then I got this one in and it just spoke to me. And I was like, like in the last two hours. So I switched it up. So today's problem, again, as always, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing your problems with me. Also, don't ever worry. I'm not going to say your names. I know some people share their problems and like, please don't matter. These are just, you know, thank you for writing in. I will never disclose unless you're like, please say my name so my friend knows that I need to deal with her. But I will never do that. So here we go. Problem this week. I'm taking my driving test soon, and I'm feeling negative about it. Driving has always felt like something I couldn't do, even though I've never even tried. I'm close to being ready for the test, according to my instructor, but I can't break out of the spiral of thinking I'll definitely fail, which in turn feels like it's making me more likely to fail. Any advice? Yes. Okay. So, here's the biggest thing I can say to you, and I'll give you some more information, but here's my personal opinion. If by chance, let's say on the first one, you do fail, who cares? Don't wait. You get back out there and you take that test again and you just take that test. You do not let one failure get you down because you know what? Maybe that test is even just a good practice for when you actually get it. Maybe you need to take a couple of tests to also be able to handle the anxiety of driving on the road. So I don't want you to worry about failing the test. 
Who cares? Guess what? You can take the test as many times as you need to. And I say that because I failed my test. I failed my test, and then I got gun shy, and I waited because I didn't need my license. I could manage life, and I waited. And then I went to university, and I didn't drive for three years. And you know what happened after that? I needed to re-go and do lessons all over again and rebuild up my confidence. And I took the driver's test, and guess what? I failed. But you know what I did? The next day, I took the test again, and I passed. All I'm saying is do not let the idea of that one little failure defeat you. You will get your driver's license. All right? So this is from a personal experience. You will pass. It's going to happen. Don't you even worry about it, right? Don't let this get worked up. People get worked up about tests. Tests are a hard thing. I think we all get nervous when it comes to being examined or analyzed. So please let that go. So some of the things that I wanted to focus on today then, if you're spiraling into negative thought, we are going to call this, and this is an actual term, catastrophizing. So what you're doing is you're taking an idea in your head and you're going worst case scenarios. And I think a lot of people do that in preparation for when shit does go wrong, right? You're like, well, I've thought out all the negative possibilities, but you're catastrophizing then is what you're doing, okay? You're, all you're seeing is the negative. That's what you're living in. But the fact that there is a term for it means that you are not alone and that this is a common thing, which means there are ways to stop doing this as well. So number one, recognize it, okay? Now you're going to miss a lot of times that you're catastrophizing, but when you start to identify when it happens, you know me, I love a little journaling. I want you to stop and I want you to make a note in your phone. I want you to just for a little while, every time you see yourself going down that negative spiral thinking, you make a note of it. This is the time. This is the thought. This is what I did. All right. Because you're number one, just going to learn to identify it. Number two, Start asking yourself some questions when you get into that phrase of mind. Is this outcome truly a catastrophe or is it just unpleasant? What might be the other outcomes that could possibly happen? What are possibly the good things that could happen? If you just stretch your brain a little bit to think past that first thought, I think that helps you in breaking the cycle of just the negative spiral. Have faith in your ability to cope, okay? So if shit does go wrong, look it. You've already gotten this far in life. You're going to be able to move past this thing, whatever it is. So realize that you have the ability to cope. Don't worry about it. Life is about learning how to cope. If something bad happens, you're going to know how to deal with it. If not, you're going to learn a skill to deal with it, which might help you with another thing later on. So just have faith in your own ability to cope. Get moving. If you start to feel yourself getting in that negative zone in your brain, often a walk They say the more you move, the more it produces the dopamine. We know this. That makes your brain happier. So if you're worried about that test, if you're starting to go down, just go for a little walk. Just move your legs a little bit while you're thinking about it, okay? Visualize it away. Now, I loved this idea. So it's not envisioning, like, the greatest outcome of this situation. What I want you to do is, if if you're nervous about the test, I want you to imagine taking the test. Oh, did the test go wrong? Oh, did you fail the test? I want you to imagine that scene. And then I want you to visualize it in a picture, and I want you to visualize yourself putting that picture in a fire and burning it, all right? You want to visually get that imagery out of your head. By actually going through and making your brain do that, you will begin to let go of these ideas that keep dancing around in your head. Focus on your breath. We talked about this the week before. Hand on belly. 
Inhale, seven. Exhale, five. It is hard to think about things while you're counting and focusing on your breath. Focus on micro goals, okay? So maybe you're like, oh, the test, the test is an overwhelming thing. You're like, this test. Okay, let's just focus on a tiny thing. You know what? I want to be present during this test. I just want to be there, okay? Maybe that's the thing you focus on for this goal. Or you go, uh, I just want to listen. I want to make sure I clearly listen throughout all the tests. Focus on a micro goal. Don't look at the whole test as this big, scary thing, okay? Little tiny goals, maybe leading up to it. I'm going to do a perfect parallel park with my instructor before. I'm going to focus on the parallel park. Then I'm going to tinier goals. Don't look at it as an overall huge thing. And then in specifics to a driving test, here are the biggest things to remember when you're doing just the driving test. So those were things you can implement into your life regularly. Okay. Choose where you want to take your test. You don't have to take your test right where you live. There are a lot of places you can take your test. Maybe there's a place that you think it might be a little bit uh, less busy there. It might be a bit more gentle driving around this city center. Where do you want to take your test? Think about that. Be sure to take lessons all the way right up into your test. And when you're doing your lessons, get your driving instructor to give you practice tests. Go through it and get them to be hard on you so you go through that anxiety already. So then that way when you get to the test, you've already done it a few times. Be over the top with your mirror checks. This is the number one reason why people fail their driving test. Even if you're doing clear mirror checks, sometimes the tester will not see. So the number one thing they say is to overemphasize when you're looking at all your mirrors. And bonus tip, listen up at the end. If you happen to not pass this one time, whatever they tell you at the end, that is going to be a real big indicator on what you need to work on for next time. And even if you do pass the test, whatever they tell you at the end, take that as a tip for your future driving because they will give you some ideas of things you might want to focus on. But at the end of the day, again, just because you fail the first time, it isn't defeat. There are so many other reasons why you may not have passed Get up on the horse. Don't wait. Don't see yourself as a failure. You are not. There are a million reasons why maybe you didn't pass that first time. But you will pass and you will get through it. That is my advice for today. And if it's any consolation, I pass on the third. I actually pass on the third time. And I would say my tip... and I mean, I was, I'm a terrible driver. But I would say when I did my third test, I was extremely, like, over-careful. And that's what they want. They want careful drivers. So I was really, really very cautious. Yeah. There's a thing called a worry plan, which I think you can download from the internet. And it's like when you've got a problem, you can look at the things that you can't really control, which are catastrophizing. So you can't control what the woman's going to or the man's going to do what the uh, the instructor. But what you can do is, you know, I can, if I do fail... I get more lessons or I go on an intensive driving course, which might might be better because, you know, it's all it's so intense. Yeah. So there's other things you can do in order to improve it. I love that. It's called a worry plan. Yeah, it's something called a worry plan. I'll see if I can find it because I catastrophize all the time, as Jen knows. And so when I was seeing a therapist, they, they gave me that. But yeah, it's quite good because it's like, and also, is this going to be important in two years time, five years time, 10 years time? It's like, you know, when we were so concerned about A-levels, you know, can we destroy about what grades we get and then you leave school and nobody ever asks about your A-levels. <laughs> like, you know what it's like when you're down the pub and people go, tell me about your GCSEs. <laughs> How many GCSEs did you get? But, you know, when you're studying for them, they're a really big deal. Yeah, they're the be-all and end-all. 
It's really easy for pretty much anything that we do to feel like the be-all and end-all, and it mm -hmm. never is. And you're absolutely right. Look, if you take seven times to pass your test, who cares? Well, I mean, obviously it's expensive, so you don't Sure, it's a bit of money, but you know what? You'll make back that money. Right? But ultimately, you can always make more money. But yeah. also, I often think that the reality of driving is that you don't really learn to drive until you've actually got your test and yeah. you're driving. Because up, That's yeah, true. up until that point, you're learning the mechanics of driving. But actually driving and getting that confidence just comes from being on right. the road and, and going yeah. out the there. The test is actually the easier part. <laughs> Once you get into the world, then you're learning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the test can feel like so high pressured, particularly where the driving instructors are, examiners are with you in the car. You're like, God, crack a smile, you prick. But honestly, I think that's really great advice. There's not a single WTB, like... I passed third time, Maureen passed third time, Alison passed third time. What can I say? Third time's a charm. <laughs> but also, one thing I would say is once you've got your test and once you've got your driver's licence, don't be a scaredy cat driver. Drive with confidence. Yeah. Be deliberate in your choices and just go out there and, and listen, enjoy driving. God only knows I loved to spend hours in the car. <clears throat> anyway, anyway, <laughs> good luck is what we're saying. Yes. Good luck. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Boy, you look surprised that you're here. I've just woken up. And yet she still has applied mascara and lipstick. I just want to point It's called out. being professional, Alison. <laughs> what have we been watching, listening to and generally enjoying Maureen? Well, two things. I watched the first episode of Killing Eve. The fourth series. The fourth oh, yeah. series. Have you guys watched it? I watched the first series. I watched a bit of the first series and it was really good. Yeah. Just didn't have the time to get into it. I haven't watched the second or third. Don't ask me why. I really enjoyed the first and then I just forgot to get involved with the others. Acting yeah. is great, from yeah, what I remember. Yeah, acting is great. I mean, I only watched, there was two episodes I could have watched. I watched one and then I didn't watch the second. But I, I will do. They've kind of changed the characters around. So the character played by Sandra, oh, I can't remember her name. Oh, oh Eve. <laughs> Can we please, we just had a Be Maureen moment right there. Just wanted to check in. 
everybody that we all heard that. You got it, right, everyone? You heard that? That was for real? That was live. Absolutely dynamite. (laughs) Anyway, Eve. Yes, Um, Eve, yeah. Her character's changed. Oh. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of a kick-ass woman now. Oh. And Jodie Comer, she's found religion, apparently. Obviously, she hasn't, and she's not going to kill anybody, and she's going to be this goody-goody Christian. You kind of suspect it's not going to last that long. No, Um, I find with psychopaths they tend to... Yeah, Their they don't, personality yeah. is quite rigid. <laughs> so that's kind of the start. Um, and then the other thing I watched was the Limehouse Golem with um, Bill Nye. Have you seen that? No. Nope. It's kind of like a hot little horror film, I suppose. Sounds kind of creepy. I was yeah. Thinking, yeah. And it's a kind of a, 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 there's a person going around murdering people in like a, like Jack the Ripper ways, but not just women. He's, he's murdering different people. And it's Bill Nye's trying to find out who the murderer is and they call it the Limehouse Golem. Oh. And it's got a twist. And I'd seen it before and I'd forgotten the twist, so that was quite handy. I mean, it's not... I wouldn't say it's the best movie in the world, but, you know, if you want something to watch, you know, all that. I mean, I've running out of things, Maureen, with the 72 million hours of television I've lined up <laughs> for the next decade. I'll add that to the back of the list. What about you, Jen? Some more podcasts? I'm back on the old podcasts. I mean, two people were delighted with my podcast recommendations <laughs> and that's two more interactions that I've had thus far. So I've taken it to heart and I'm going to give you a couple of other recommendations. Now, listen, I'm not a massive true crime fan or so I have told myself. Turns out I love true crime. <laughs> you love I it. absolutely you love, it. love true crime. I told myself I didn't love true crime and I blame the Hollywood crime scene girls. So, again, if you haven't listened to Hollywood crime scene, I urge you to go go back to the beginning. You don't... I mean, you don't need to listen to all of them, but there are some really absolute blinders at the beginning that are definitely worth listening to. Anyway, and I've listened to two on BBC Sounds, which I listened to recently, which I really enjoyed. They're both... I say enjoyed, it's enjoyed the right word. They both deal with very sad and also traumatic and at points quite difficult to listen to, really, subjects. One of them is called Who Killed Emma, which is about the killing of a sex worker. But also she was, she's just a young kid who got addicted to heroin and then couldn't fund her heroin. And the only way to do it was to sell her body. And it's about her death and a journalist that goes in to investigate and basically looking at the lives of these women who work and live as prostitutes in Glasgow and how they are treated not just by society but by in particular the justice system and in particular the police whilst also investigating the death and the murder of this young woman and the way that they humanize a section of society that we are quite happy to pretend don't exist and to dehumanise and to uh, ignore and not just ignore, neglect. It's a very humane podcast and obviously you were dealing with the death of a young woman so it's not like entertainment in that respect but it, I found it very, like in terms of a documentary podcast, I, I was really good. And in the same vein, there is another podcast I listened to. This is another BBC podcast, by the way, and it's called Where is George Gibney? And George Gibney was a, I think in the 90s, an Olympic swimming trainer. So he trained young people. And it is then now evident that he was a sexual predator that predated on these young children. And is an Irish swim coach and was a big deal in Ireland back in that time. And he's just gone underground and it's about these guys, these two journalists investigating George Gibney and where he is and also talking to 
people that were his victims and he was prolific. It is a fascinating podcast and I really, again, enjoy it. Is that the right word? But I, I found it uh, compulsive to listen to. So those are two quite heavy podcasts. They may not be up your street. <laughs> you might not like them. The other podcast, When Things Fell Apart, John Ronson. Now, that's also a BBC podcast. I listened to it when it was on the radio, however many months ago, but I'm sure people will know about it. But if you haven't listened to it, it's absolutely brilliant when things fell apart. And it's just looking at the way we can't communicate with each other or we don't, you know, how things fall apart, basically. And it's often to do with, like, having extreme views or opinions about certain subjects. It might be about, in, in America, the way there are certain parent groups that are trying to ban books. They haven't read the books. They've just got a gut feeling that these books are awful. Or... One of the best episodes, or certainly I found to be one of the best episodes, was actually covered by Hollywood Crime Scene, was talking about this pastor, this evangelical Christian pastor. It was his wife, actually, and she invites an AIDS victim to come on to try to humanise men at that time in the 80s. Are you talking about Tammy Faye? Is it Tammy Faye? Yeah, Tammy Faye, yeah. So looking at what she did as an evangelical Christian and how she changed, not everyone's, but some people's attitudes towards gay men and towards this pandemic that was just slaughtering, that was just ripping through the gay community. And so many, you know, people were dying. And just humanising this. So when you've got, like, evangelical Christians who aren't known for their, like, liberal attitude towards same-sex relationships and to have her to go on her own, that was watched by millions of people. But I, that series, Think When Things Fell Apart, John Ronson... Absolutely brilliant, and I can highly recommend it. All three of those podcasts are available on BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. Brilliant. That's my recommendations. Alison, what the hell's been happening in the horror universe? Yes, well, I'll get to this, but you know what's interesting? The reason why I knew Tammy Faye, always been very fascinated with Tammy Faye Baker and her husband, Jim Baker, and the whole evangelical. Oh. Like, I grew oh, up wow. in a very evangelical, like, people talking in tongues and dancing around. Like, that was my jam when I was a child. That is the church that I went to. And so, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Tammy Faye always really was an interesting character to me. And Through the Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is now a movie that is out, documentary, really good, really interesting. And there's that whole scene where she does that, and she really does change people's perceptions on. And they were not happy with her. The men involved with the church no. at that time were not happy happy with her being like, I just want to put my arms around you. I love you. You're you're so loved. And it was like, anyway, sidetrack from horror movies. But the horror movie that I chose, okay, because I was thinking about exams and testing, and this one jumped into my head. I forgot I had even seen this one, and I really loved it. It's called Level 16. 16-year-old Vivian is trapped in the Vestalis Academy, a prison-like boarding school, keeping to herself and sticking her neck out for no one, until she is reunited with Sophia, a former friend who betrayed her. Together, the girls embark on a dangerous search to uncover the horrifying truth behind their imprisonment. Soon, running for their lives, the girls must save themselves or die trying. It is so good. They're in this creepy, it's almost like a prison type school. Oh my God. And you're like, what is going on? Why are they kept there? And then like, when you find out why these girls are basically being grown, essentially, it is fascinating. It's an interesting like, could society, could we be? Anyway, I really loved it. Um, 
it's not a girly horror movie, but because it's about, you know, teenage girls and being the situation. And I just liked it, too, because it's this dynamic of weird girl friendships and, like, selling one another out, which is all about, that's what teenage girls do. We like you one day, then you might be the one on sacrifice so we don't get picked up. Like, that's what happens. So this was a very interesting movie in that I love watching the relationships, the dynamics, but also finding out what is going on at this crazy school. Really loved it. Not a jumper, screamer outer, Maureen. I promise it's more like a psychological, like, what is happening? Loved it. Level 16. So it's everything's a test. They're always being tested. That's why I thought it really related to the problem. Level 16. Thank you very much, Alison. When did that film come out? I think it was uh, 2000... Was it 1920? Oh, 2019. So so relatively recently. Last few years. And you can get it on Amazon Prime. I actually have always found schools to be creepy. Always. Yeah. Did you ever used to like have to go to like, I don't know, a parents' evening? Not a parents' evening because you wouldn't be at parents' evening, but like an open day thing. And then you'd end up down one of the corridors in your school and it's like, oh, there's nobody here. And then you just get the creeps, wouldn't you? Former drama teacher. I'd be there. Everyone's gone after rehearsal. Principal's even gone. A school is creepy when it's just the janitor. I'll tell you, if I was a janitor in a school, I bet you there's tons of ghost stories that they have of like uh, something because there's bad energy in schools. Let's be honest, everyone. It's a weird. uh. It's like residual hormones just sort of (laughs) smacking you in the face. You're like, oh, the fog of like teenage. That in itself is a horror movie. Alison, thank you very much for your horror movie recommendation. But we must once again, we have to go to Maureen. I've got to stop that. That was too much. That one hurt you. (laughs) That hurt me, yeah. Of course, it's the corner time that is often cultural, but sometimes just batshit. Well, uh, given the situation at the moment, we know what's going on. I thought I would choose a writer that was born in Kiev. Kiev. Mikhail Bogarkov, who I don't know if either of you know about him. He was a great writer, very interesting guy. And he wrote probably one of the best novels of the 20th century. It's considered a, a masterpiece. Probably one of the best uh, novels to come out of the Soviet Union. The Master of Margarita which I totally recommend. I think Michael Glennie's probably got the best translation. But it basically, Devil comes to Moscow and nobody notices. This is during the Soviet Union in the 1930s. And it's interspersed with scenes from Jerusalem, the trial of Jesus through the point of view of Pontius Pilate. And what is really interesting is that nobody knew about this book. So in Eastern Europe during those days, when the government had to agree on the literature, there was a thing called Samzidat, which was like books that weren't allowed would be published underground and people would pass them round. This never happened to this book. So when it came out, it came out after Stalin was dead. It came out after, I think, Khrushchev was dead. It came out in the 60s. It was a revelation because nobody knew that he'd been dead for years by this point. Nobody knew about this book. And there's a very famous line in this book called Manuscripts Don't Burn, Rukopisi Nigolyat, I think, in, in Russian. And it's the idea that the human spirit, no matter how bad the autocracy, the human spirit will always come to the fore. And he was a very interesting guy. And it, it kind of sums up, because I think in Britain we, we have an idea about nationality and nations, and it's more fluid in continental Europe. So he was a, an ethnic Russian, but he was born in Kiev. He went to Moscow. And so people are having a debate, is he Russian, is he Ukrainian? Apparently in, in recent polls, in Russia he was considered the second greatest writer, and in Ukraine he was considered the third best playwright. 
And there are those things like, you know, uh, Shaw... You know, he's considered an Irish playwright, but he spent most of his time in England. Yeah. Tom Stoppard was born in, in Czechoslovakia, which doesn't exist now, but nobody would call him a Czech playwright. You'd call him a British playwright. Everyone refers to him as British. Yeah. But it's also that thing about, I think, culture. You know, the Germans have a joke about, I think it's, they call Goethe, you know, they call Shakespeare their, their second greatest writer after Goethe. Because, you know, there are, I think there's certain culture kind of become, starts belonging to everybody to a certain point. But he, he's got some really interesting books. There's a really great one. It's called Moliere or the Cabal of Hypocrites. And it, it deals with Moliere and about the, the problems of an artist living under an autocrat, which obviously you could see there. <laughs> very very <laughs> um, relevant. Mm, mm. Very relevant, you know, Stalin. Mm. And what was interesting, after seven days it got banned and they rehearsed it for four years for the Moscow Month. <laughs> Wow. So it's rehearsed for four years. A seven star up performance got banned. And he was with uh, Stanislavski. Stanislavski had helped set up the Moscow Art Theatre. They fell out. So he also wrote a book called Black Snow, where he just basically takes the piss out of Stanislavski. So if you ever met a method actor who's got on your tits and you want some relief, you just read Black Snow. Or just recommend they read Black Snow. <laughs> But um, also, there's a great play of his called The Day of the Turbans, which is one of Stalin's favourites. He saw it 20 times, and it was all about the White Guard. The White Guard were the people who fought the Bolsheviks, and it was set in Kiev during the Civil War. So, And then eventually, and he fell out of favour with Stalin. Stalin banned all his writing. He wasn't allowed to produce any more plays. And he actually wrote to Stalin. I mean, this is a brave thing to do, and to say, look, if you're not going to let my work be published, and if I can't perform, my works can't be performed, I might as well leave the country. And Stalin phoned him up. And he went, so do you want to leave the country? And he went, no, no, I don't. I don't want to leave the country. <laughs> oh, actually, do you know what? I've decided I, I might stay. <laughs> but, you know, a very interesting guy, and I definitely would recommend those books. Yeah, The Master Margaret, I think most people agree it's one of the greatest books that, have, that was written last century. So, yeah, so that's it, Mikhail Bogarkov. Oh, Warren, what a brilliant recommendation. And Excellent. what better time to explore Ukrainian writing and history and try to understand a little bit more about what's happening, you know, because I think a lot of people just don't really understand the history of the relationship between Ukraine and Russia and the, and the Soviet Union and what Putin's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think we should be curious and explore and and what better way to do it than to celebrate one of their greatest writers? Yeah, yeah, you'll enjoy his stuff. I mean, unfortunately, they, I was trying to find it. There was a really great version of his play Moliere on uh, British TV with Anthony Cher, but I can't find it anywhere. So if anybody knows where that is, please let me know, because that was a brilliant production. Wow, Warren Younger, thank you very much for your cultural recommendation. I can't even take the piss out of you for that. It was all very good. Well done. Yeah, it was excellent. Uh, <laughs> but we've learned a lot. We've discussed. We've had some jolly laughs. That's over. No more laughing. We want to know. <laughs> Jen, what the hell is getting your goat? I don't want to lose my shit over... Th okay, this is it. Right, Jen's goat is happening now. <laughs> I cannot handle this! <laughs> We've already talked about it briefly today, is my competitive nature which I try to suppress, but just comes to the surface in an angry way. You know, members of my family sit more had seen it. It's not pretty. But what happened was I had to take my sons to Laser Quest recently. Now, if you don't know what Laser Quest is, it's basically a game where you put packs on and you have laser guns and you shoot lasers at each other. And if your pack gets hit or your gun gets hit, then basically you can't shoot your gun for eight seconds because you've been shit. And it's done by points. Now, I took my sons... It was a friend of theirs, seventh birthday. I was just trying to set the scene here. My sons were like, Mama, will you come? And I said, I don't think I'll be able to, darling, because 
I'm not going to pay to go and do laser zone with my children. And I, I turn up, the parents go, oh, no, a couple of people can't come because of COVID, so we've got spares if you want to go. And my kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, OK, if I must. I get packed up, I get my gun, I go out there expecting this will be fun. And before I know it, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. I am <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in Rambo. You shot your own children. <laughs> I'm taking seven-year-olds out, like, you know... One kid comes up to me with his mum, by the way, and goes, are you blue? And I went, sure, let's say I'm blue. I'm not, I'm red. Shoot him. He's four. <laughs> I'm going around, taking kids out. A couple of kids, teenagers, spot the competitive nature, so they're just going for me. But I'm like, you can't kill me. I'm coming back for you. I'm going around this laser zone thing, <laughs> taking kids out. Like, this is normal behaviour for a 47-year-old woman to do. And I am taking it really seriously. And I get to the end of the first game and I am like, I am absolutely killing it. I tell you what, this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be embarrassing because I am going to be near the top of the chart. And how am I going to explain that? How am I going to explain that? Oh, you've got, and the kids have got, anyway, I came uh, <clears throat> 18th out of 23. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> That has really got my go. How did I come so near the bottom? (laughs) And a group of seven-year-olds. Oh, my God, the humiliation. What have I learned? Probably nothing, but chill out, Brista. That's what I've learned. (laughs) Chill the fuck out. Enjoy your life and don't compete with seven-year-olds. You know, it's not worth it. One of my sons was so, he was like, Mummy, you did so well. You've got, like, 900, whatever my score was. And I was like, bless him, he came second to last. He thinks 21 out of 23 is good. I was like, oh, okay. That's not 23. It's uh, near the top, Mama. I was like, yeah, 23 is the top. You're near the top. He didn't realise it was the other way around. And I did not disabuse him of that because I'm a good woman. I mean, that's it. That's what you've got to do. So as far as he's concerned, the two of us came near the top. And uh, I'm still having to analyse those stats with him and uh, pretend I don't really understand maths. Well, that Uh, bit's right, actually, isn't it? Yeah, actually, that bit is right. You're right, boy. <laughs> oh, what I wouldn't have given to have seen. I want to see footage of this. Oh, there's photos. <laughs> it was the mum's face when she looked at me and she went, you've just shot my son. He's four. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, well. If he can't decipher blue and red, that's his problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in it to win it, love. I don't know what your game is. <laughs> anyway, I've been banned, so... Um... <laughs> Women talking bollocks. If you have enjoyed WTV, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a little review. Or you can check out our socials now on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and you never know, we may even get on TikTok. And if you do like the show, please do have a look at our Patreon for bonus content and weekly treats. Well, that did. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.